Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We've met a number of characters. We won't take time to review everything, but I'll just let you know we've met the nation of Israel. Of course, uh, if you look, the book of 1 Samuel is written mainly about the nation of Israel, God's care and protection and love for them. Because of that, we've met Samuel. Samuel was the very first pro- or the uh, very last prophet, the last judge for the nation of Israel. He's one of the very first characters we meet in the book of 1 Samuel, and God would use him in a great way to lead God's people. Well, God's people would want a king, and so they would ask God and ask Samuel to give them a king, and it was out of God's timing, but God still was merciful and gave them their first king. His name was Saul. Saul, he was, uh, uh, at, the, at the time, he was the right man for the job. He was the right man to lead, but we discovered that really just a few months in, a few years into his leadership, uh, pride set in in Saul's life, and the Lord said, man, I'm not going to use you anymore. I'm going to uh, not work through you anymore because of that pride. Basically, Saul was saying, God, I want to do it my way, not your way, and God was saying, well, I'm not going to force you. I can't make you choose my way, and so God said, I'm going to choose somebody after mine own heart. And Samuel would go and anoint the next king, the unlikeliest of people to be selected king. His name is David. David, a young uh, shepherd boy. I almost said fisherman. That's Peter. But David was a shepherd boy. And uh, you look at the life of David. Uh, Most people will know that David, uh, he's known for uh, much of his life and and different actions in his life. But probably the greatest story that anybody, a believer, follower of Jesus or a non-follower, someone who's familiar with the Bible or someone who's not familiar with the Bible, they know about David and Goliath. And everybody knows that. That's the, the story of the underdog. I mean, you'll hear it on the news from people that ha- have no affiliation with the Bible. They'll talk about, well, this is, a, this is a David and Goliath match, you know. And what are they talking about? They're talking about an underdog match. Well, it definitely was, but David came out. And with the Spirit of the Lord, he said to, to Goliath, you come at me uh, with a sword and, and with your spears, and you come to me with all that armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God. And God would give David a great victory that day. And because because of that, David would almost become an instant hero. As a matter of fact, they would write some songs, really hyperbole. They would write saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, he has slain his ten thousands. And uh, really, David had slain, you know, one. He had slain just a few in the war, and yet they were ascribing to him ten thousands. And because of that, we discovered that David's battles, they really didn't just end with Goliath. Goliath was just the beginning Because what happened is David would face a greater enemy than Goliath. He would face the enemy of Saul. Remember, Saul said, how dare they? How dare dare they ascribe to David 10,000 and and to me only a few thousand? How much, what more could he have than the kingdom? And and, uh, Saul, because of that fear, he jumps to an assumption. We'll see that again today in David's life. And David would run for his life from this man, Saul. That's where we've been most recently is following David's journey running from Saul. And we looked last week as it seemed that David had caught on to some lessons that uh, God had been trying to teach him. 
If you remember last week, David could have killed Saul, but instead he showed, he showed Saul mercy. And we learned four lessons that David was learning. We learned, number one, that in life we need to let God. What is that, man? That's just learning to trust God with situations that are out of, out of our control. We'll see that again today. We learned about discerning godly counsel. Uh, David was there and Abishai said to David, hey, kill him, kill Saul. And, and David said, no, I'm not gonna lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. We learned about discerning godly counsel and the importance of allowing people uh, to speak God into us. We learned thirdly about extending grace and mercy with humility, not having that spirit of exacting revenge upon somebody. And then last week, we also learned about individual responsibility. David said to Saul, Saul, you're gonna answer to God for you and I'm gonna answer to God for me. And so Saul, I'm just going to keep pursuing God. Last week, it would seem that David, all of those truths just clicked. But this week, as we come to our study, it would seem that David forgot again. (laughs) David forgot again. What we're going to see this morning is David making some decisions that are anything but wise. They're actually the opposite, the opposite of what God would want for him. Really run from the very presence of God Almighty. We're going to find him, David, being compelled to do something that neither Saul nor anyone else was causing him to do. And what we're going to find today is David facing one of his greatest enemies yet. He faces the enemy of discouragement and distress in his own heart. You ever been there? You ever been at the place where you were so discouraged that you wanted to just quit whatever it was that you were discouraged in? So discouraged that you wanted to run from your responsibilities. You wanted to flee from maybe what you knew God wanted you to do. I I know you have been there because we all have. I'm not talking about the day that you stub your toe and have a flat tire. I'm talking about the day where you stub your toe, have a flat tire, and the pet dies. I'm talking about those days, that's a little bit of humor, but talking about those days when things just seem to never look up. Those days and those situations, you've been there where things seem to go from bad to worse. Here's the question I want to look at today. What do you do when you're in that spot? David is in that spot. We're going to find him today in a situation where he is running for his life But the situation will go from bad to worse. So what do we do when we're there? If you have your Bible, take it and let's go to 1 Samuel 27. And you can remain seated this morning just for the the reading of God's word. We'll just get through it quickly. 1 Samuel 27. I want to read just the first seven verses. And then we're going to jump all the way to chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 27, it says this. And David, he said in his heart... I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose. And he passed over with 600 men that passed over would mean from Israel into Philistia, into the land of the Philistines. He passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. This is where Goliath is from. The enemy that David just killed a few years earlier. Now David's running to his city. 
And David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David and his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that, da- uh, that David was fled to Gath. And he sought, Saul sought David, sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a, um, excuse me, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Chapter 27, we find David going into the land of Gath uh, where Achish is, and he would be there for 16 months. Go all the way to chapter 30. A few pages over to chapter 30, and let's read just a few verses in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This would be the end of those 16 months. 1 Samuel chapter 30 Beginning in verse number six, so David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. As you come to 1 Samuel chapter 27, 29, and 30, I want us to know, and for those of you that are with us through the series, what we find taking place in 27, 29, and 30 is taking place the same time as what happens in chapter 28 that we'll come back to, all right? So we're not skipping 28. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. But what we find in our study this morning is David at probably one of the lowest points of his life. One of the lowest points of his life. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, and we just read it there, that David was greatly distressed. The word distressed, it means to be squeezed. It means to be completely under pressure and ready to burst. This is where David is. He's at a low point. His life has gone from what is bad, it's gone from bad to worse. But what did he do? This morning we're going to look at what David did. We're going to ask and answer three questions. The first question, how did he get there? The second question, what was he missing? And the third question, what did he do? We're going to answer those this morning. I think it'll be a help to us because every one of us have days where things go from bad to worse. We find ourselves discouraged, distressed, ready to pop. What do we do in those situations? And really, what do we do before we get to those situations? Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. Dear God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. I pray this morning as we get into our time, I ask you, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that as we go through this, that you would capture our attention And Lord, that we would learn from you the lessons and the message that you want for us today. I pray, God, if there's someone watching today or here in person that does not know you as their personal Savior, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, God. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time together. And we commit it to you and pray that you'd speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Excuse me. As we come to our, the time this morning, um, I realize that we won't have a long time, and so we're not going to really give you a, an extensive study, but I want to just kind of give you the backdrop for what takes place in 1 Samuel 27, 29, and 30. As we read a moment ago, David, he's been uh, running from Saul, and when you come to chapter 27, it's just after David has been in En Gedi. We were with David last week in En Gedi, just on the east or the west side, excuse me, of the, the Dead Sea, and we showed you some pictures. I've been there a couple of times to En Gedi. What a beautiful place. And this is where David was hiding in the caves and uh, had opportunity to kill Saul. And Saul, uh, David showed Saul mercy, like we just heard about. And so David leaves there. He's there in Engedi, but he, he leaves there. And the reason he leaves there is because of chapter 27, verse number 1. He said in his heart, I have no other options. I've got to run. So what does he do? He runs to Gath. Gath would be, uh, you can see on the, on the screen, up north, uh, all the way up there, probably that central part of what is Israel now would be the area of Gath. And David is running up there. He's going to Achish, the king of Gath. And he's fleeing for asylum, if you will. And he's going there with his 600 men. And it would seem that things worked out for him because the Bible says that Achish, uh, David found grace in his sight and, and Achish ended up giving him Ziklag. Well, the scripture tells us that as he goes to Achish and finds that grace, that uh, things seem to be going okay. If you were to continue reading in chapter 27, you find that things really aren't going okay. Because while David is there in Achish, or while David is there in Gath with Achish, he begins to be a mercenary. David goes and he begins to just kill off different groups, different enemies that are there. And the whole time, Achish thinks that David is fighting for the Philistines, but David is living a, a double life. Well, it comes to the point in chapter 28 where the Philistine army, Achish's crowd, is going up to war against the Israelites. David's should be their king, David's family, David's friends. And in chapter 28 and chapters 29, David is presented with a uh, situation that he did not want to be in. Because Philist Philistine army and Israelite army against each other, and Achish says, David, surely you're going to go to war with us. And David's like, uh, yep, you have no idea what I can do in war. <laughs> and he's presented with this, like now he, I mean, he's supposed to be the king of these people that he's about to fight against. He's on the wrong side of the battle. Well, through providence, the Philistine army would go to Achish and say, hey, we're not comfortable with David. <laughs> he's a double agent, man. He's, he's probably going to kill us from behind. And Achish, with a broken heart, Achish goes and says, David, I know that you've been good to me, but you can't go to war with us. And David begins to argue. He's like, but I want to show you what I can do. You know, it's like, David, wake up. God is sparing you from this. And David, he ends up leaving, leaving the battlefield, but he gets back to Ziklag. And as they crest that hill, they look and their city's on fire. They get back and all their family's gone. And that's the low point we find David at in 1 Samuel 30, verse number 6. The low point of distress, discouragement, ready to pop. 
As we look at this, I want to ask this question, how did he get there? How do you and I get there? How do I get there? When I go, when things go from bad to worse, I've got to stop and ask myself, how did I get here? Well, how did David get there? There's a few things that I think added up to David being at this place of distress and discouragement and ready to pop. I want you to see, first of all, that he ended up in this situation because of fear. He ended up in this situation because of fear. Notice his fear in verse number one. When he says in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape in the land of the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast in Israel so I shall escape out of his hand. You see, David, he was plagued by inner fears. I have nothing to do. I have no other options. I'm afraid for my life because Saul is going to kill me. So what was his answer? I've got to get out of here. The only safe place is the far place. And those fears which David had caused him to have false assumptions. Because David said, there's nothing better for me than that I escape into the land of the Philistines. Really? Really, David? I mean, look at what God has done. Look at all the times God has delivered you. And now you're saying there's nothing better for you? It's a false assumption. Why is it there? Because of his fear. His fear caused him to falsely assume, I'm going to die. This is never going to end. But the sad part is that God had delivered him time and time and time again, listening to his fears. His fears. He was ignoring promises that had been given to him and listening to his fears. You think very quickly with me, those of you that have been with us, of some of the promises that David was given. Don't you remember that Samuel said to David, surely you will reign? God said, you're going to reign. Samuel said that you're going to reign. Uh, Jonathan said, hey, David, you're going to reign. Abigail said, hey, David, you're going to reign. Even Saul himself said, hey, David, you're going to reign. God, through all of these people, gave David a promise, you are going to reign. And yet David is listening to his fears. He had a ton of evidence saying that God would keep his word and God would deliver him. But now he's hearing his fears. They're thundering at him and causing him to go into some false assumptions. Can I tell you this morning that fear always uses a megaphone? Fear, it is always in large font, bolded and underlined in all caps. You ever got that text message? I get that from my, my mom. I get the bolded, all caps, text message, and I'm like, what is the emergency? Listen, fear always uses a megaphone. I'm going to die. There's nothing better for me. I'm going to fail. Saul's not going to quit. That's what's screaming into David's life. But those false assumptions, they're causing him to feel like he has no other options. And the same is true in our life. Our fear causes false assumptions, helping us think that we have no other options. Think about it. We are afraid of the unknown, aren't we? In any situation in our life, the fear of the unknown uses a megaphone to speak false assumption into our life. My marriage can't sustain this. I have to get out. I have to get away from this job. I have to permanently escape this situation. All of it because of the unknown, the fear. God's given up on me. Man, God doesn't care about my, my, my present circumstance. Can I just tell you this morning that God is infinitely more concerned with delivering me from my fears than he is about delivering me from my circumstances. 
You see, God doesn't care as much about the situation you're in as you think he does. He cares more about you. He's trying to help you through the situation, grow you through a situation. What we want is we want God to end the circumstance. We want God to end the situation and the circumstance. We want God to pay the bill. We want God to bring the healing. We want God uh, to take away that person or to give us that promotion. We want God to heal the situation, whatever we think the problem is. We want God to solve the problem, but God is much more concerned with delivering the fear out of our heart than he is us out of our situation. Because that fear causes us to make bad assumptions. What did Paul say to Dave? Paul say to Timothy? God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. It is, it's not wrong to feel fear. It's wrong when fear becomes our counselor. And I love that thought. Fear is a human condition, but it should never be our counselor. Fear is a human emotion, isn't it? God, God put that in us. There's some things that God says, I want you to be afraid of this and fear. But fear should never be our leading counselor. In David's life, it's his leading counselor. I see David ending up in this situation because of fear. I see him ending up in this situation because of poor choices. Those false assumptions, they led to poor choices. I'm going to now go down to the Philistines. I have no other option. Saul isn't going to uh, give up unless I go. And that's not the David from the last chapter. The David from 1 Samuel chapter 26, he said, no, Abishai, I cannot kill Saul. This is not God's will. God will take care of the situation. God will help me. Now he's not doing that. Now he's simply saying, no, I have no other options. And he begins to make poor choices. He goes to the enemy. No one's forcing him. No one's pushing him. No one's making the decision for him. He is choosing his own road. Can I tell you this morning that our fears cause us to make some of the most foolish choices that we ever make. We too often think, I have no other options. Here's David, the one who's called a man after God's own heart, and yet his heart is struggling. His fear is speaking louder than his faith, and he is saying, I have no other options. And can I tell you this morning, you can know that you're about to make a bad choice when it is predicated upon the statement, what's better for me? You go to verse 1, what does David say? It is not, there is nothing better for me than that I escape. Better for me, it usually makes me pretty petty and self-focused. David's decision to do so, to like, it was an okay decision. Because verse 4 of chapter 27, he's accepted things that can happen for us is when we make a poor decision. You know, sometimes one of the worst things that can happen for us is when we make a poor decision and it seems as if it was the right decision. But over the long run, we can look back and realize, you know what? That probably wasn't the best decision. This is where David is. His fear has caused him to make false assumptions. that caused him to have these poor choices. He ends up being in Ziklag for 16 months and then comes back to it completely destroyed. How did David get to the place where things went from bad to worse? Fear, poor choices, but also unexpected circumstances. Unexpected circumstances. I think this one's big, and I think this one will speak into all of our lives, because here's David in the land of the Philistines, driven there by his own fear, his own bad decisions, and by the time we get to uh, two verses into chapter 28, here he is now faced with this impending war against his own nation. He's supposed to go to war with the Philistines against Israel. 
Chapter 29, God delivers him. We'll see it again in just a second. But then as he comes back from that war he's supposed to go into, something totally unexpected happens. His city is annihilated and his family is taken. This wasn't due to David's poor choices. Now someone could say, well, it was due to his poor choices 16 months ago. I understand that. But we have to know that there are some situations in life that happen that are out of our control that can cause us to be at a place of distress and discouragement. Those unexpected circumstances, that notice from the doctor, the C word, I'm sorry, you have cancer. That loss of a loved one, the phone call. As a chaplain with our first responders, I've made many death notifications. And I, can't tell, I can tell you, uh, I, I can't remember one. No, I can remember one. <laughs> now it just came to me. I can't remember more than that one where I opened the door and they said, oh, we knew it. It's only happened one time in 14 years of being a chaplain for two different uh, departments or offices. And the one time was, oh, you're here for, you know, Uncle Larry. We knew he was going down. That that was it. You know what everybody else is? They open the door and they see chaplain. They go, Had one lady one time literally open the door and pass out right there. She knew. Those are situations that are out of our control, unexpected circumstances. You know what unexpected circumstances can bring? They can bring us to the point of distress, discouragement. Sometimes life just throws us a curveball. Sometimes the reasons that we end up at our low points are because of unexpected circumstances. I think sometimes life, if I can say it this way, sometimes life just throws up on us. The year 2020 has done that. That is my, that is my new philosophy about 2020. 2020 just threw up on us. I appreciate what uh, Ms. Warnick said just a moment ago. We didn't see this coming. Oh, well, somebody did. No, we didn't see this coming. Uh, six months ago, I, when, I'm, when we're planning the year and thinking about uh, with our, our church buying property, I mean, all of these things taking place, I didn't think, you know, we're going to get six months in and have half of our church in service, half of our church viewing online, and we're going to, I didn't think about that. We're going to cancel all of our barbecues. We're going to cancel camp this year. We didn't think about that. Those are unexpected circumstances. You know what unexpected circumstances can do? They can bring you to that low point. That's where David is. Unexpected circumstances, they drown out, our, drown out hope and often cause us to go from bad to worse. How did David get there? Fear, poor choices, unexpected circumstances. But the second question is, what was David missing? And when I'm at my low point, what, can I, what should I ask? I need to ask, what am I missing? I find what David is missing in chapter 29. I'm not going to read the whole chapter for time's sake. I want you to go and just uh, write it down and go and listen or read to it. Read to it. Listen to it or read it uh, or both. 1 Samuel 29, what happens is what I said a moment ago. God literally providentially saves David from having to go to war against his own people. He does it with the counsel of the ungodly. How does that happen? Well, David is there with Achish, and Achish says, hey, you're going to go to war. And David says, you have no idea what I can do. Of, of course I'll go to war with you. And, and he's probably thinking, I, what am I getting myself into? And then the uh, Philistine army, the other generals, they come to Achish, and they say, what are you doing? 
You're a fool if you let him. And Achish is like, no. And Achish argues for David. Uh, he's, he's only found grace in my side. And he's impressed me since he's been with me. And he, and he begins to talk up David. And they're saying, no, he's not going. Achish goes to David and David argues with him. I stated that a moment ago. He says, uh, why won't you let me go? Have not I been good to you? Let me serve you. I'll be, and, and he begins to argue his point. And Achish says, no, David, I'm sorry. You're not going to go to war with me. You say, Pastor, what is, that, what is that looking at? What does that mean David is missing? In this chapter, again, he is supposed to go to war against his own people. And yet God, God through circumstances, is saving David from this unwanted battle. God was working something out that David was not even seeing. You see, David, he didn't realize what he was missing. David's missing that he's missing what God is doing. You see, David didn't know. I mean, he's so fixated on his plan that he literally pledges himself to kill his own people. And what he didn't know is that he was missing that God was working behind the scenes. And sometimes we miss what God is doing because it doesn't fit the narrative that we want. We miss what God is doing because it doesn't fit the way we think things should play out. You think about this, we automatically assume what we want to happen. And so when we pray, we give God option A, option B, and option C. God, please pick one of the above. God, here's my situation. Please pick, please check one of these boxes. And God's like, option D. No, God, that's wrong. God, I don't want option D. There is no option D. And we pray according to our narrative. And most of the time, the options we give God aren't the options that God wants. Why? Because he's working something bigger than we could ever know. Did you know God doesn't need your suggestion? You think about this, and I love the thought. We could not in a million years think of the God options. It never occurred to Joshua. You know, let's walk once around the wall six days. On the seventh day, the seven times, and it'll fall down flat. God, how about that? Never happened. Moses, he didn't think, you know, I'm going to walk up to the Red Sea. I'm going to hold up the, uh, the staff that I have, and I'm going to talk about the Lord, and then the sea's going to open, and, you know, two and a half million people are going to go across on dry ground. Never thought of it. Daniel never thought, you know, I'd like to go in the lion's den. And when I get in there, I'm going to sleep with the lions. Totally safe. And then I'll come out and everyone will worship God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Listen, they didn't think. You know, hopefully we get thrown in the fiery furnace. That'd be cool. Because once we get in there, we'll be fine. They didn't think that. Think about Ruth, Esther, Joseph, Peter, Paul. What did they all have? Option D is the God option. When we pursue our plan, we miss what God is doing. God has his way to work. God has his way to lead. And here's David, totally insensitive to and missing what God is doing. And again, we could not in a million years think of the God option. Why? Because God is always at work behind the scenes. And sometimes one of the best things for us to do when we hit our low points is to step back and say, okay, God, what am I missing? And don't expect God to go, oh, it's option D. Um, here's what I'm doing. 
No, here's what we need to do. God, what am I missing? Oh, I'm missing that I need to trust you. See, he was missing that God was working and he could trust God. He was missing that God was working and he could trust the situation to God. We often fail to see the providential hand of the Lord at work in our life. We, we need to ask God in every situation, Lord, help us to see your hand. God, help me to continue forward in what I know I should be doing and trust you because there's a common theme through the word of God. Common theme in every single page of this book. And it's not only is it Jesus Christ, but it's the truth that God is working behind the scenes. He's always doing something that you may not recognize. I love that I can trust that to God. <laughs> Think right now. Look back on your life. Are there some God options that happened in your life that you never would have thought of? <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably, wow, I never. <laughs> some of you, you married a God option. <laughs> I know I did. Man, I married up. And we're not talking like up. We're talking like skyscraper up. <laughs> that was a God option. And I'm not just saying that to, to praise Hannah. I'm just saying that I never in a million years would have, would have dreamed of option D. Can I just tell you today, God's always working behind the scenes. When we get to those low points, when things go from bad to worse, what should we do? Well, number one, I need to, I need to recognize how did I get here? David got there by fear, poor choices and unexpected circumstances. Number two, who, what am I missing? I'm probably missing the fact that God's working and I can trust him. But number three, and lastly today, I need to look at this question, what must I do? When I'm at that low point, when I'm, things have gone from bad to worse, when I'm David in distress, looking at my city burnt down and my family gone, what must I do? Notice what David did, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 through 8, the last part of verse number 6, it says this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar uh, brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he, God answered him, David, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. But I want you to notice verse number six, what it says David did. In his moment in distress, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David did. David realized, I need to look someplace where I can receive strength. I need to look somewhere where I can receive strength. And let me tell you this morning that what you're facing is not nearly as important as where you're facing. What you're facing is not nearly as important as where or who you're facing. Here's David for 16 months. He's been doing his own thing, living his own way, pursuing his own will. Now in his moment of distress, he remembers I need to look up. I need to face up. I need some strength from God. And David realized, he realized that he needed to turn to the Lord. It's been a long time since David has done that. For 16 months, if you go and do the research of the story, David has been scheming, manipulating, planning. Now he's seeking the Lord. Isn't it funny how when things burn down and people leave, our prayer life gets better? The old statement that there's 
a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, prayer in a foxhole. <laughs> it's so true. Same is true in life. When you feel like you're at war personally, that's when you begin really seeking God. Why? Why do we wait till that point? David's now asking God, God, what should I do? God says, go and pursue them and you shall surely overtake them. David's praying and asking something that he should have done months ago, isn't he? He would have never been in this situation had he first asked God. But you know what? David learned his lesson. And so this morning, instead of us beating David up, let's admit that we've all been there. We've all been at the place where we've maybe should have prayed about direction before we did. We've all gone down the path that perhaps we never should have gone down, experienced things that we never should have experienced, suffered in ways that we probably never should have suffered. And so David, like us, has to learn again, I need to seek the Lord. But why did David find encouragement in the Lord his God? I'm going to give you three reasons and we'll be done. Number one, David discovered that in God, there's a resource, a resource is available in God which is not available anywhere else. David knew strength belongs to the Lord. David knew I I can turn to him. I mean, think now, where is David gonna turn to? The Philistines, they've rejected him. Israel's rejected him. Saul's betrayed him. His men have rejected him. His wives are captive. His children are gone. His family's still in Moab. David literally has nobody to turn to. Where is he going to turn? He knows I can turn to the Lord. I said it on Thursday, and I said it a moment ago just at the beginning of the service, but in God, we never run out of resources. In life, we run out of resources, don't we? In life, we always need more money. We always need more things. We always need new clothes. We always need new shoes. We always need food. We always need different resources in life. But listen, in life, we run out, but in God, you never run out of resources. You're you're never going to have a point where you pray for grace, and God says, I'm sorry, I'm out. God, can I have wisdom? I'm sorry. That's all. That shelf is clean. Wait for the restock to come next week. Truck will be in Tuesday. We never have that with God. No, we don't run out of resources. We never run out of hope with God. God says, hey, David, I'm still here. Why? Because God cares when nobody else cares. God knows when nobody else knows. God has answers to questions that David doesn't even know the question is. God has the resource. Can I say the same is true in your life? You never run out of the resource of God. So don't wait. Don't wait till you're at the place of distress to seek the Lord. Man, seek him every morning. God, I need your help today. God, I need your wisdom today. Because there is a resource in God that is not available anyone else. And when you feel like no one gets it, God gets it. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a high, great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore, hey, because Jesus stands for you and in the stead for you, let us therefore come boldly, come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace, enabling strength to help in time of need. David could find encouragement because he knew that God had resources that weren't available anywhere else. Number two, because he recalled his lessons from God. David recalled some lessons from God. What lessons? Hey, David, 
Start trusting and stop scheming. (laughs) David, you've been manipulating, trying to do your plan, trying to do everything. You need to start trusting God. We can scheme all we want, but God is always smarter. So I need to step back and trust him. Lesson number two, hey, David, ask God for directions and avoid your desires. Hey, David, quit pursuing your own plan. David, quit trying to make things work out. What, listen, what got David into this mess? Chapter 27, verse number one, David said in his heart. Don't miss that. I have it circled in my Bible. Why? Because David, beginning, he, he began to allow himself to be his own best counselor. That's where his fear began to speak with a megaphone. David was really his own worst enemy. He sought direction and counsel from his own heart. And often we get in our place of discouragement, distress, and despair because of allowing fear to rule our hearts and minds. Can I tell you that your heart is not your ally? Your heart is not your ally. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hey, the Lord searcheth the heart. Proverbs 4.23, that's why the verse is there. Keep thy heart with, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Psalm 19.14, the psalmist said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in thy sight, be acceptable in thy sight. Why? Because the psalmist knew, I can't trust my heart. This is why it's important to give God all your decision-making. Give him your will. Why? Ask him for direction and start avoiding your desires. See God's side instead of your wants. The third lesson David learned was submit to God's plan and stop trying to write your own. In this prayer, David was not only asking the Lord for direction, but he was yielding to God. Hey, God, should I pursue? God, what do you want in this situation? I see this morning that David could find encouragement because he found a resource available in God that wasn't available anywhere else. He recalled the lessons from God, but lastly today, David could find encouragement from the Lord because he was the Lord, his God. David could find encouragement because he had a relationship. You know what happened is while David was there, all of those Psalms began to come back to him. All of that leading that God had already done began to be refreshed in his mind. And David reflected and thought, what am I doing? I have God Almighty as my friend and my father. I have a relationship with God, the creator. What am I doing? David had a relationship. It was the Lord, his God. Can I tell you this morning that in his darkest hour, David was reminded that the Lord was his God. I wonder today, do you have a relationship with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You see, today I want to close by helping us understand this simple truth. You will never find encouragement in God unless he is your God. Well, how do I make God my God? How do I have that personal relationship? It's only through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died upon the cross, paying the payment for your sin and my sin so that I could be reconciled or made right or have a relationship with God. And when Jesus died on the cross, there were three words that he spoke that were very significant. These words, it 
is finished. He died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the dead to prove that he was God and prove that he, was, he could be trusted. Why are those words, it is finished? Why are those so important? Because it's not Jesus plus anything that gives me a relationship with God. It is Jesus alone. And I hope today you've put your faith and your trust in him. You say, well, I do that. It's simple. We confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. God, I believe that Jesus loved me and died on the cross for me. And I ask him to forgive me of my sin and to be my savior. I put my faith and my trust in him. Listen, don't put your faith in a pastor. Don't put your faith in a church. Don't put your faith in a Christian heritage, a Christian nation. Don't put your faith in anything except for Jesus Christ. Well, I'm a good person. Hopefully I'll get there. Don't put your faith in you. Listen, the only way to heaven, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hey, it's only through me. And you'll never find encouragement from God unless he first is your God. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.